this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. Today we are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness as well. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of ESD Mindfulness. On today's episode, we discuss how you do not suck at meditation. And if you're encountering challenging times during a meditation practice, then you are exactly where you should be. I am Jacob Durosset, and I'm here with Sarah Vallely. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Jacob. Thanks. Hey, I suck at meditation. No, you don't. This episode is dedicated to anyone who has ever said, I suck at meditation. I feel like I'm terrible. You are a beginner each time you sit. And the reason that's so important is because we get into this childlike attitude with our practice. We don't know how it's going to work out. We're just going to meet the moment where it is. We accept ourselves just as we are. It helps us let go of the ego and expectations that our meditation is going to work out a certain way. Just letting that go and knowing that sometimes when you sit down, there's going to be a lot of concentration and other times maybe you're going to feel really distracted and that's okay because each time you sit down, you are a beginner. There's a great book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind that is a good resource for this philosophy that we are beginner each time we sit. We have a book club, by the way, if anybody's interested. We read that book in our book club very powerful book to illuminate the like simplicity of the practice, but also he kind of like posts it like a rite of passage. This is going to be difficult, but you'll do it every day. Really, you'll be more at ease. The more you realize to have beginner's mind throughout your day and and letting go of this idea that you know something or you are something that's kind of the whole point of is to consistently go back to this idea of, do I really know? It's very playful. And, but yeah, that book is absolutely incredible. What we need to understand if we're sitting down in our mindfulness practice is that part of the practice is losing attention. There's an ebb and flow. We are focused, whether it's a stimuli or we're in open awareness and we're focused on just noticing whatever enters our consciousness. Then we lose our attention and that is part of the practice. And then part of the practice is noticing that we lost our attention using our mindfulness, our alertness. Yes, I've lost my attention. I'm lost in thought. And then gently bringing you back to whatever it is that you are focusing on without any judgment. The thalamus in our brain breaks our attention about four times a minute. This is something that kept our ancestors alive in times of threat. You don't want to be in the forest, really focused and have a tiger come up and not notice that the tiger's there. Your attention breaks just to scan to make sure everything's safe. So if you're in your meditation and you're noticing your attention is breaking, that's because your brain is working. (laughs) Just saying, oh, that's just the brain's process. I'm going to notice that my attention dripped away and I'm going to bring it back to my stimulus, just gently bringing your attention back. Another thing that can be really helpful is to find a stimulus that works for you. I don't know how many people over the years 
I've worked with who have told me, I thought I couldn't meditate until I started meditating in this other way. So an example would be someone originally learned how to meditate by focusing on their breath. They're having a really hard time. It's just really hard for them to focus on their breath. They feel really disoriented. They don't feel like they're settled into their practice. And so they feel like they can't meditate. And so I've had students like this who try a different stimulus. And so someone that has trouble noticing the breath might actually do really well listening to the sounds. The sounds work much better for them. For me, I do really well with my eyes open looking at an object because I'm such a visual person. And so sometimes during my regular meditation, if I am not looking at an object, I have all of these visual images that keep like popping into my mind that are distracting If my eyes are open, I'm looking at an object, it's easier for me to stay focused. I really don't do well with the breath. I never have. I've always blamed it on the fact that I am so focused on breathing with my clients. And I'm always talking about getting your air low, having your breath be intense and relaxed. And so I tend to manipulate it. I tend to know like, okay, I know I should be breathing in my stomach. So I'm going to do that. So I keep changing it and I don't allow it to just be. One thing I did get, it was from Joseph Goldstein. It was a great cue. It was to observe the the breath being breathed or the body breathing the breath. That was helpful. But but even then, I, I, I tend to not like the breath as a cue. And then I do the uh, Douglas Harding looking for your head exercise. That's very playful. And that's the exercise where you try really hard to see your own face, but you can't. Yeah. You're just walking around out in the world and, and you just observe that you can't see your own head. It's like a cloud of thoughts just wandering around. It's fascinating. You're talking about Zen mind, beginner's mind. So the exercise of looking for your head allows you to realize that all of the opinions and thoughts and implications you have of yourself are all in your mind. They're not in your physical environment. So when you take the opinion of yourself and really look at it for a second and say, well, where is that? It's nowhere to be found. And I highly recommend everyone check out On Having No Head by Douglas Harding. And then they have an app. It's called The Headless Way. That's awesome. And you had used the term, your body breathing your breath. What was the term you used? Observe the breath being breathed. I observe my body is breathing, not I am manipulating my breath. Because again, I I tend to really manipulate my breathing. When I do that, I notice an organic process like a sound or a body sensation. Observe the body being breathed. Yeah. A suggestion that I have is to see if you can notice which muscles in your body are allowing you to breathe. Where are those muscles in your body, creating your breath. And that's a wonderful exercise because it takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of curiosity. And those are the skills that are really helpful for developing your mindfulness practice. Have you heard of Unwinding Anxiety? No. It's Unwinding Anxiety, it's an app. He has like this, this insanely high uh, yield of people to quit smoking using his system. And what it is, is you'll notice in your body, okay, I'm craving a cigarette. And then you implement curiosity. You'll say, well, where in my body do I want a cigarette? And then you'll say, is it more on the left side or is it more on the right side? I notice my hands are getting a bit fidgety and I notice my right hand is a little more fidgety than my left. And very shortly thereafter, the urge has has subsided and you notice the physical sensation, the physical urge is gone. And then you look up and you're like, oh, wow, okay, that ended and I'm okay. I can make it another 25 minutes without a cigarette. That's excellent. 
I love that. Another suggestion, especially if you are new to a sitting mindfulness practice, the suggestion is to rotate your attention between two or three stimuli. Maybe ordinarily you would just be focusing on sounds, but in this situation, you focus on a sound for maybe 30 seconds, shift your attention to focusing on a physical sensation in your body. Then maybe 30 seconds later, shifting your attention to your breath. And that rotation allows for you to have just enough mental activity to stay in the game. You know, maybe you rotate between three stimuli for six months, and then maybe for the next six months, you rotate between two. And then within a year, you're just focused on one stimulus. The other thing is, is when you start meditating, shit comes up. Like it's just wide open. So I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people are saying I suck at meditation because they're starting their meditation practice. And then all this stuff starts coming up that they are not used to confronting. And so if that's happening, you are right on schedule. You are doing exactly what you need to do. You are meditating correctly. This is what happens. It just might get really loud. It might just feel like there's just so much chatter and just so much going on in your head that you weren't aware of before. The fact is, is you had all that chatter prior to learning how to meditate, but now that you're sitting and learning how to meditate, you're becoming aware of it. And so it feels like things are getting louder. You're just becoming more aware, totally normal. That often will last for maybe three months. And then it will start to to quiet down once you really settle into your practice and stay dedicated. Frustration will come up, frustration about your abilities. Like that's a big one. So why is it that it seems like the mind does not want you to meditate? No, we're not going to do this. And and there's a lot of reasons and a lot of resistance. At the beginning, it really seems like a grim duty of some sort. And it, it takes a long time for it to become an enjoyable practice. So why is that? Why do you think the mind is so resistant to this practice in the beginning? A lot of my philosophies about this stem back to neuroscience and the evolution of the brain meditation is counter to what we were evolved to do. We were evolved to have sex, pass our genes on and stay alive. Meditation doesn't fall in there. Sitting and meditating was not a survival mechanism thousands of years ago. Sitting and meditating meant you weren't having sex and passing your genes on, right? Yes, you're going to hit stumbling blocks. You are going against the grain of what might naturally be occurring in your psyche, but that's okay because we also have the capacity to change our neural pathways, to actually change our brain, neuroplasticity, our brains are plastic. It's okay that in the beginning, it feels really uncomfortable because when we work at it, we will shift things around and we will be able to really enjoy our meditation practice. Another thing that will come up is self-devaluing. You will start to put yourself down because of your, quote, inability to meditate, which is total myth. There's no inability to meditate. You're, you're meditating. You're doing it. Uh, you're there. You're just in some frustration about it. Hopelessness comes up, just feeling like you don't have control. And that's perfect. That's the way it is. I mean, that's what we are learning. We're learning that there's so much that we can't control. I mean, these thoughts that are coming and going are out of our realm of controlling and that's okay. And so that's part of the learning is just surrendering to that and instead just allowing them to come and go and being aware of that powerless. Same thing, not having that power. 
self-doubt, doubting who we are on many levels, just because we're having trouble sitting and meditating, that's also a myth. You are an amazing person. You are amazing. You're sitting there and you're giving meditation a try, which is more than most people can say. And meditation is extremely difficult. So the fact that you're sitting there and doing it means you're awesome. Another thing that comes up is doubting the process, doubting sitting here and paying attention to a stimulus, doubting that that is helpful, doubting that that is going to make your life better. And I will tell you what, that doubt is real. I've been meditating for 20 years. Meditation has changed my life. I've read so many studies on how meditation can improve all aspects of your life. And I still struggle with this. I still will occasionally sit in my meditation and have thoughts of, you know, why am I even doing this? This is a waste of time. Like this is not helping. And I have to talk myself down and say, yes, it is just sitting here and noticing your stimulus is actually having a positive effect on your brain chemistry. It's having a positive effect on your brain structure is having a positive effect on your nervous system, your physical body. Yes, this is, this is going to be helpful in the long run. Thinking that there are more important things to do than sitting here and meditating. There's some strategies that you can use to counteract that one is saying to yourself, this moment is enough. Everything that is just here in this moment right now is enough. I don't need anything more. This sound that I'm listening to is enough. These body sensations that I'm paying attention to are enough. Saying nothing is more important in this moment than listening to this sound. I want to explicitly talk about concentration because that is the skill in meditation that often is the biggest hurdle for people. So concentration is something that strengthens with practice. If you haven't been meditating for a while, or if you've never meditated and you sit down and you're struggling with concentration, using your will is something that a lot of meditation teachers don't talk about. In some circles, I think talking about will during meditation is a little bit taboo, but I think considering your will and what role your will plays in your meditation practice can be key. There are different ways that you can use your will during your meditation that will improve your experience. And our will, it wants to be doing something that's helpful, that's uh, making our will wants to be effective. You can, you can think of the ego, the ego being the will. You could give your will a job, like explicitly give your will a job during your sitting practice. So your will feels like it's important. And so there are two jobs that your will can be in charge of during your meditation practice to direct your attention, right? So I was talking about the ebb and flow of practice. You are focused on a stimulus and then you lose your attention and then you notice you've lost your attention and then you bring your attention back to the stimulus and maintaining as best as possible, paying attention to the stimulus. Only other job for your will is to physically keep you on your meditation cushion. You are going to have thoughts that you want to get up and do the dishes. You want to get up and finish some work. You want to go outside. You need to go run some errands. Let your will be in charge of just making sure that you stay on that mat. If for your meditation that day, you spend 30 minutes sitting on that mat lost in thought, that's okay. Part of the training is just to train yourself to physically be able to sit down for 30 minutes or however long it is that you're meditating. What were your recommendations for time? I know that for insights, it was specifically like, I believe it was an hour, hour and a half. Real quick, could you just run through your normal recommendations for people? Yeah. 
I have a course that's about six months long. For the first three months in the course, I ask my students to meditate 15 minutes a day for three or four days a week. And then I ask them to up that to 30 minutes a day, maybe three or four days a week, the last three months of the course. Deciding on your own amount of time, um, I support that. If you're just starting meditation or you've been out of it for a while and you're just trying to get back into that routine, you can start with five minutes a day and then you up that up to 10 minutes a day. That's a great place to start. Half of the battle is just getting yourself into that routine, getting yourself into that habit. You're getting into that rhythm of creating that time to sit. I've been trying to accumulate an hour a day. I have been recently about once a week doing a long set of an hour. And I've done that maybe once every two weeks. I'm very, very good about 10 to 20 minutes every day, but I really would like to commit to doing the hour long for an extended period of time. So that's a good, a good challenge. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.